The invaders. Alien beings from a dying planet. Their destination, the Earth. Their purpose, to make it their world. David Vincent has seen them. For him, it began one lost night on a lonely country road looking for a shortcut that he never found. Welcome to episode six of First Strike, the Invasion Podcast, proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm Siskoid. I'm Bast. And we're taking you through the entire Invasion crossover from uh, DC Comics 1988. Every issue of that series, which is easy enough, but every tie-in as well. And today we're talking about a, uh, a comic and a character that's pretty dear to both of us. Yeah, actually. Flash number 21. Mmm. Part of the Invasion First Strike. Well, where do we start? Uh, cover? <laughs> cover? We have a cover with a, a lot of stuff that's not in the comic. Uh, <laughs> like, Well, really, not really. I don't know. We have uh, Wally West as the new Flash with uh, Barry's old costume. This is before Wally had his own costume. So yep. they're somewhere in the jungle. We don't know. Surrounded by... Versions of the Swamp Thing and... And guns and one guy. <laughs> and rebels. <laughs> and it's guest starring Manhunter also. That's... Uh, we're going to get to that eventually, of course, yeah. but I, I sort of can't believe they were brazen enough to put his logo on the cover <laughs> because Manhunter is pretty... Uh, he's pretty much in the background of this. Yeah, he is. He is. So if it didn't say Manhunter on the cover... I'm not even sure we'd know Manhunter is in this. I, it, it's, it's mostly guest starring Chunk, which is <laughs> which is fine, I guess. Chunk was very popular at that time, I guess. And of course, I was joking around. It's not Swamp Thing, although the creatures look like Swamp Thing, maybe because there's foliage flying around. But it's yeah, it's they're Durlins. Are they? Are, are they? They should be Durlins. They should because, be Durlins. Yeah, yeah. As we'll find Durlins. out, the issue is full of. Durlins. The Durlins. Who are part of the invasion as uh, one of the nine key uh, alien species uh, invading Earth. If you if you don't know who the Durlins are, uh, they're basically the people... That, well, Chameleon Kid from... Uh, chameleon Boy. Uh, chameleon Boy, sorry. Who, who the hell's Chameleon Kid? Nobody. Nobody? That's the one. Trademark Chameleon Kid, Bas <laughs> Levesque, 2016. Uh, <laughs> well, a Chameleon Boy, he's, uh, he's a Durlin. Right. And these are Durlins a thousand years before... He was born. Yep. And um, they're not so nice. The issue is called Invaded Lives by writer William Messner Loeb's, penciler Greg LaRoque, inker Larry Malstead, letterer Steve Haney, colorist Michelle Wolfman, and editor Barbara Kessel. Cover by Don Simpson and Larry Malstead. Hmm. Well, it's a nice cover. Uh, actually, the, the artwork is pretty good in this. I, I kind of like it. It's, I like Greg LaRoque. Yeah, yeah. He uh, He's pretty good. It's pretty straightforward, though. Yeah, he's done some pretty ropey who's who entries for okay. some reason, but he was the main artist on on Flash at this point, but on Legion of Superheroes for a while. Okay. And I always liked his style. Just distinctive enough, but clean superhero art as well. I'll get us through a synopsis. Sure. And then we can discuss the various story elements. Sounds great. So, take a breath. <laughs> I'm taking a knee. <gasps> uh, but maybe we can cut this in half, because yeah. there is a part of it that's really the, the invasion story and part of this is really Wally's yeah. developing subplots. Yeah, yeah. Well, Wally was great in that time. <laughs> was he? No, he wasn't. Uh, in the previous issue, covered in episode one of uh, First Strike, Wally West, whose flash powers are kind of intermittent at the moment, was knocked unconscious in battle with a Durlin in the street and just woke up now confused, alone, and without a cent to his name. As everyone talks about an alien invasion... Also begging for coins, he tries to call the Titans. Nobody's home. I don't know where they are in, I don't know. in this. And Justice League International on a payphone. After Oberon hangs up on him, he gets Booster Gold, who's more willing to fill him in. While he meets up with his mom and Chunk in Washington, D.C., where, after some subplot stuff, he's drafted by the military for a special mission in Cuba, which the U.S. is afraid might become an alien base much too near its shores, especially if they set up the troop teleporter they are said to have. Why Wally? Because their intel apparently comes from his dad, former Manhunter agent Frank West. Wally demands Chunk be sent with him, and to protect them, his mom makes a mysterious call. <laughs> yeah. Mom, mom watching out for Wally. 
So th- this is the first half of the issue, the first part of the issue. Yeah, yeah. And and, and this is... And I was making uh, kind of jokes about Wally uh, earlier. Because uh, this is what I call the whining Wally years. Where uh, Wally West took the mantle from uh, Barry Allen after Barry Allen died in a crisis on Infinite Earths. And uh, saving the universe, by the way. Oh. So, I mean, the savior of the universe... Uh, has somebody new in the shoes, I guess. I don't know. And and Wally... In the running shoes. And, and Wally, up to this point, really, he had like a, a certain personality. We known him... Uh, I think we, we saw him develop a bit more in the Teen Titans. But at this point, he's not in the Titans anymore. He's... Um, he's kind of trying to find his voice, basically. Yeah. And, he's uh, got a lot... I mean, if you're following in the Flash's footsteps... Yeah. That's a lot of pressure to put on yourself. Yeah, big shoes, big shoes. I mean, the savior of the universe. I mean, uh, or multiple universes. Yeah. So, a- anyways, uh, Wally, it, <laughs> up till now, well, I, I did a bit of a synopsis of what, what's going on. The, 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 the first so, 20 issues. Yeah, so, so basically, Hobo Wally, he was dumpster camping, and he... He needed to get in the game because I mean he's very powerful and everything went south as you know and but why is everything gone south? Going back to when Wally became the Flash, he crosses Vandal Savage in the earlier issues of the Flash, and Vandal Savage is kind of a he's he's a, a bit of a psycho if you well you kind of know him now because he's in all the TVs <laughs> so he's everywhere. Uh, he has like this girlfriend thing going on, and Wally, for some odd reason, just falls in love with everybody or almost everybody at this point. Then, He's a bit of a player, yeah. And and his powers are on and off. For some odd reason, his powers aren't really up to par. So he gets tested at Star Labs, uh, then meets his new girlfriend Tina McGee. Uh, Tina's married to to, <laughs> to uh, Jeremy McGee, as you you might know him uh, also as Speed Demon. Uh, or Speedy McGee, or Speed McGee, yeah, he's yeah, you you, you know him. There was so, a lot of speedsters in those. Well, actually, that's where they, there was like an explosion of speedsters. All of a sudden, there was Red Trinity, Blue Trinity, uh, the couriers. Uh, how do you call them? The capitalist couriers with K's everywhere, and uh, they had Velocity Nine, uh, like in the uh, the TV show back then. So this is like a, it was a speed drug. And everybody, some people were hooked on it. That's what gave the speedsters their speed. Is that related to the speed force? Actually, I don't really know. I, I have no idea. In my mind, sure, it does. But speed force wasn't a thing back then. It wasn't as yet. So it wasn't, but it could be explained as how uh, all of a sudden there's a lot of speedsters and his speed is kind of off balance, and so maybe you know a little bit of a shimmer in the force there in the speed force. So I don't know. Uh, then we knew we we got to to find out that his dad's a manhunter and he's all messed up inside with the emotions and all of this is because Wally really didn't have a cool origin story so we're trying to make stuff up to give this character some character basically uh, trying to make him relatable I guess and, and and it's all fine but I mean he was whiny all that time I mean he's living with his mom. And she's a, I'm for lack of a better word, a hag. She's she's horrible at this point. She's always bickering with the girlfriends and everything. Uh, so he's going broke. Uh, lives with his mom. Uh, can't hack anything. Powers on and off. He's he has for some odd reason uh, the the JLI don't like him. First, I don't know what happened there. They, they offered him a uh, spot, and, and he, he said refused. No? Oh well, there you go. So he's being an ass to the JLI. And uh, now he's broken, he needs some help. So this is where we're at with Wally. Eventually, Wally will come into his own. We're not going to see the, the Wally West persona again developed further than that. We're going to see the Flash persona get developed later on. And that's when everybody falls in love with Wally then. Well, I think. That's when I started liking Wally. Well, we're going to talk about this later, but... Uh, we both started reading the book really when Mark Wade took it yeah, over. Actually, yeah. Well, all the Speed Force stuff and all the legacy stuff. But whatever uh, Mike Barron and William Messner Lobes did with the character before then, I don't have much of a connection to it. No, not really. I read it sporadically here and there, and it was always so trapped in these subplots yeah. that if I missed the, a few issues before, I felt kind of lost or. Yeah, but they, they And did. the same thing happens here. I'm this whole first part of the issue, I'm not sure how Wally got there. Thanks for the recap. 
<laughs> but at, you know, it's always a bit like that where the character is being built. Yeah. And I, at that age, did not have the patience. No. To see him built, I, I wanted him pre-built. Yeah. It, it, well, that's what we always had, right? We always had these superheroes that were uh, just perfect off the bat. They were. We didn't have to build them up. We didn't have. And Wally was one of these first legacy heroes that we had to. All of a sudden, he the other one was gone. Barry yeah. was gone. Because even in the Spider-Man kind of sense, where the, the character has a lot of struggles, the character himself is pretty well built up. Mm-hmm. It's just, there are challenges. In Wally's case, it's like many of these challenges are internal. And so we are some called to not necessarily like the character and the traits he exhibits. Yeah. So it's not like a good person trapped in bad circumstances. It's a character creating bad circumstances for himself. Yeah. And that was that was an obstacle to me when I was a teenager and this was yeah, coming up. of course. And this is all the groundwork for Mark Wade's run. So, you know, it's not without value. It's, it's actually, I think, very good when you're a bit older. When I was younger, I didn't like that stuff. A bit older, you kind of get it. And, you know, it's, and it's all the foundation for the Mark Wade stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, I call him Whiny Wally because I'm funny. But uh, it's I'm, and I'm gonna call him Whiny Wally all around. <laughs> At this point, Wally is not the Wally West that most of us fell in love with. Uh, I will say that uh, next episode we will be talking about uh, Justice League International number twenty-two, and this seems to be concurrent with that because when Wally calls the JLI, the only people he can get are Oberon and Booster Gold. Yeah, who are the characters that were left behind on the mission that we'll see next time. Oh, can't wait to see. So that. it's the same. It's probably just before the events okay. of JLI number 22. Let's head into that mission. Yeah, the mission is kind of... Uh, well, first of all, I, I mean, the mission is uh, to Cuba. And right. And going to Cuba. And I think Cuba's kind of a mystery, for, I guess, for these writers. I don't know. <laughs> it's not the Cuba I might know or a little bit, because I don't know much about Cuba. I haven't been there a lot. But For I, Canadians, it's a uh, major vacation destination. Uh, it's about not to become so. Because <laughs> yeah, exactly. if Obama strikes, a, reopens the door between Cuba and the U.S., it'll become a major vacation spot for the U.S. Oh yeah, prices definitely. will rise. Canada will go elsewhere. <laughs> that's that's just that's just the truth. Yeah, that's right. I, I kind of forgot that we uh, we don't have this embargo thing with uh, Cuba. And, no, so uh, we but can go to Cuba. I think it's interesting that Cuba is where you're sending Durlins or any aliens. Not only because it's so close to the U.S. and it makes sense, because right now there there is no beachhead in North America, mm-hmm. other than than maybe this. All the other places where they landed are outside of North America, where most of the superheroes are. So yep. I think maybe the aliens are. Biding their time, they don't want to... Well, every time they've attacked Metropolis, for example, they've been defeated. <laughs> well, yeah, I wouldn't... If I were these guys, I wouldn't attack Metropolis right away. Right. No. Or, or, or Gotham. And you're not. But the idea of a communist country mm-hmm. and aliens is that B-movie, 1950s B-movie vibe. Absolutely. The Cold War vibe where uh, aliens, especially shape-changing aliens, like, uh, you know, Invasion of the Body Snatchers or whatever, mm-hmm. doppelgangers... And communism have always been... Like, one was a metaphor for the other in movies. So here's, here's the synopsis for this part. Upon entering Cuban airspace, their plane uh, is shot out of the sky, but they escape. Only their pilot is wounded. They immediately take sniper fire from Durlins, but these go into hiding when rebels, led by Fidel Castro himself, show up. <laughs> he claims he was replaced by a doppelganger and is now fighting to reclaim his country. But he blames the CIA and doesn't trust Wally, Chunk, or Frank West, who soon shows up with the truth of what's happening. Castro assigns a female rebel to keep an eye slash seduce Wally, and before long, the Flash has to save her from a sniper's bullet. That night, he sleeps with her, and once he's passed out, she tries to shoot him in the head but is prevented from doing so by a mysterious figure who immediately vanishes. The camp is alerted, and the woman is outed as a Durlin. She escapes. Flash and Chunk next find the base, but Chunk can't risk teleporting a teleporter. Uh, that's dangerous, but is there already somebody attacking the base? Before they can decide what to do next, they decide to go to uh, Havana, use super speed to switch out the Castros, make the real Castro order the other Durlins to reveal themselves and expose the whole lot. Wally is called back to America, 
but is happy to have shared an adventure with his dad, except old Frank West plans to sell fake Durland detector badges, so he's back to being a disappointment in Wally's eyes. <laughs> to be continued, Kenneth. To be continued. Uh, this is uh, this part is great. This part is great. Just seeing Fidel Castro <laughs> in the woods. They call it a jungle, but there's no actual jungle in Cuba. It's uh, uh, they call it moist, <laughs> moist uh, forest or something like that. Okay. It's not. It's not really jungle. But hey, why not? My thing is with chunk. Okay. All of a sudden, I, I, I get chunk. I, I mean, I get it. I get it. He has like this pocket dimensions or yeah, yeah, whatever. An access to a pocket dimension. Yeah. So he can teleport stuff there yeah. and back. They call it the singularity. There's a lot of words in there that, you know, you, you, I wouldn't use that way, but it's 1987, 88. So, you know, they didn't know better. All of a sudden, Wally does this because they're, they're flying over Cuba and they get shot down. And all of a sudden, Wally... Does this whole uh, Helen from The Incredibles, Elastic Girl from The Incredibles, and he looks at Chunk saying, "Chunk, do something!" And Chunk's like, "I'm crying." And <laughs> Chunk's face when he's trying is all contorted. I I don't really get why his mouth is all to the side, and we have problems with Chunk in this. His hands are so small, so so small, so small. And and I mean, but I don't know if he saves them. Or not, or um, what he does. This part is really kind of odd because the plane is heading for that jungle slash forest, and then he it goes pop and disappears. It's, you see, you see, it's the same place. Those are the it's, yeah, those it's are the same, the same mountains or waves. <laughs> I'm not sure, but he makes the that part of the jungle disappear to the pocket dimension. Okay, so he took he took away the the trees. Oh my god. See? So that's the same beach, See, I that's the same water. I didn't get what was going on. Yeah. No, it, it confused me as well at first, because I'm, I'm not used to, to Chunk doing his thing. But it became clearer as the issue went on. You could see, it goes pop. He okay. pops someone over to the, the other dimension, to the singularity, and then back. So this is how he saves the plane, sort of. The plane still crashes, but it crashes on soft sand instead of into trees. I guess. So they, they get out the pilot, which I was surprised. Uh, she's a woman. Sure. She looked like Otto from The Simpsons. I mean, what's what's his name again? Uh, uh, not, not, not you mean Ms. LaRocque? Uh, I mean LaRocque, yeah. He, I, I don't know if he can't draw women. or They're all not attractive. Uh, I think, all of them. Well, no, he, he obviously can because in the Legion... I don't. I don't remember the Legion of Superheroes as having any less pretty legionnaires. Oh, well, I think these are women of a certain age, and that's well, maybe where he. Um, I don't know, man. I, he, well, this is a military woman, and then his <laughs> there's his mother who is an older woman as well, and he has his mom's chin. By the way, Wally always had that big chin with the big dimple, and I and guess your mom, he, he gets his that mom from the mom. The same. Yeah, but I mean, the pilot over here. I thought it was a guy. I really thought it was a guy. She looked like him. I'm sorry for that lady who was drawn in there, but she she looks <laughs> like a real. man. She's not real. I I I'm still apologizing. But I, I think, <laughs> well, I mean, I could take the other side, saying that it, all characters do not need to be Pretty. idealized. I know. I and know, in comics, I they it. often are. Yeah. I, I, sometimes I, comic pencilers can only draw one kind of face or body type. Yeah, that's, that's true. not the case here. I mean, Chunk is a very different body type. Yeah, I think the 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 likeness of Fidel Castro is pretty on point. Actually, yeah, the Fidel Castro is Fidel Castro's is good. Pretty is yeah, it's very good. Actually, uh, he makes uh, Wally and his mom look alike. Yeah, even his posture is good. So you can you can tell they're related. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I guess I just don't like the well, I don't like sure. pilots and Cuban women. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's it's my problem. It's 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 in my eyes. I'm sorry. Uh, well, uh, the whole Fidel Castro kind of made me laugh. The whole Fidel Castro in the woods thing really made me laugh. But then again, he's he's been uh, replaced by Durland. So where would he go if not in the woods to, to hide? So it was like, yeah, sure, we're all in the woods. But there is that sense that if we since we know there are Durlands. In the story, who's a Durlin and who isn't? If Fidel Castro shows up, I'm just chilling on a beach, yeah, <laughs> dressing a wound, and Fidel Castro shows up and tells me, "Oh yeah, the guy in the Capitol, he's the imposter." I'm thinking, is he? Or are you? <laughs> and so, and same with like his dad shows up, yeah. right? 
all of a sudden. We've been under, there's been sniper fire, and then Fidel Castro shows up with a group. Are they all Durlins? Are they all the snipers? They could be. Uh, is my dad a Durlin? Could be. Uh, well, while he's not having these thoughts, but I certainly am, yeah. while reading it, it's like, I can't trust anyone. It's always a little bit weird. Well, isn't that, isn't that the way when you have cheap shifters? Yep. That's, that's, it, it just creates paranoia all the time. And again, paranoia and the uh, the, the threat, the communist th- threat, that's all tied together. I think it's very subtle here, mm-hmm. but for a uh, a reader who um, pays attention, it's actually there. Yeah, I think the characters could have been a little bit more paranoid. Yeah, they could have. Um, but the reader certainly is because there's a lot of sniper fire coming from the woods. Yeah, and but there's the sniper fire on page fourteen. Okay, yeah, when the girl that's been assigned to Wally is shot. Yeah. This is an odd occurrence because the last time we saw sniper fire there it was coming from all sides. Yeah. And or from a, a certain side and chunk popped the the sniper yeah. out and in and we saw he was a Durlin. Yeah. So and he escaped fairly quickly. That was like a rookie move for the seasoned superhero and chunk. Well, if Wally's powers were uh, reliable, then he might have been able to catch up to the flying creature that the Durlin became. But there's the sense that it doesn't always work and he's off his game. Yeah, but still, I mean, Chunk popped him back into our reality. And they did nothing. They were like, hey, look, there's a Durlin. And oh, there goes the Durlin. They didn't prepare anything. I think that takes a certain effort. He's He's always got that I'm having a poop face. Yeah, when yeah. he's doing it, so yeah. probably it's an effort, and he, you know, he has to concentrate. The Durlin was out of range before then, or maybe. But you know, I mean, eh, I, I just, I just, anyway. But I, so I here, it. when the rebel girl gets shot, yeah, or almost shot, while these powers work, he ca- he snatches the bullet out of the air before mm-hmm. it hits her, and then later she kind of uses that to seduce him. Yeah. The, well, well, I mean, it would be a natural reaction. You save my life, kind of thing. But yeah, yeah. She was already assigned to him. Didn't matter. But a single bullet to her head. Yeah, that is. And we find out later she is a Durlin. Yeah. So who who are the Durlins shooting their own guys? We really don't know because all we get is you know like noise, like thuds and screes and rustles and fighting in the woods. Then everything stops, and you get rebels with guns. They say, "Hey, we found these guns," but did, did they, you? Or are you did they really exactly? <laughs> That's what I thought. Are you the guys who were trying to shoot the lady, or what? What's going on? Do we talk about this now? Uh, after, well, let's talk about the sex scene. Okay, yeah, and yeah. then we'll get back to the stray bullet. A very blue scene, by the way. Well, it's uh, well, it's day, all in day for night. <laughs> yeah, it's all in uh, taints of blue. Yeah. So she uh, she seduces him. Do not move, Senor Wally. I wish only to be good to you. A face, the tent from outside. Then he's sleeping and she's awake in a t-shirt kind of thing. Yeah, kind of a long t-shirt. Long t-shirt. We know this is what happened. Yeah, yeah. Wally's going to get assassinated. And all of a sudden, walk and blam. The gun goes off, but she got hit in the head by what seems to be... Manhunter. Well, it has to be. He, well, it has to be, yeah. Yeah, if you know Manhunter, that's his look. Yeah. Sort of. He uses the staff. Well, it's just a silhouette, because, you know, if I'm not reading Manhunter, and I don't really know who Manhunter is, I mean, I could think this is a Ninja Turtle, but... <laughs> Donatello. It could be Donatello. In the jungle. Uh, yeah. It's Manhunter. I, yeah. I was reading that book, and we will be seeing... Uh, what I imagine is... I don't remember what exactly happened in the um, the Manhunter tie-in. We but will be reading it, though. We will. And I imagine it'll be all the reverse of this. Probably. So we'll see him, because he disappears immediately. Yeah. But we'll see him from way before. He's a Manhunter, and Frank West was a Manhunter. Obviously, they're not both Manhunters in that sense. They're not both Manhunter agents. Okay. That's the link. So did Mom West, who did she call? Did she call Frank, and then he called Manhunter? I have was that, no that idea. phone call, and the stray bullet is that Manhunter shooting her in the head because he knows she's a Durlin. It it might be that we don't know. And that that there's that weird thing that we didn't mention where the guns fly off. Yeah, I didn't really out get of that. their hands. And then is for, that a is that a Manhunter power or something? Uh, Manhunter might have used some sort of magnetic ability okay. from his staff. Okay. And here he's. This is the first real appearance 
uh, but he's he's always been in the jungle doing things. Yeah, and it just always seemed inexplicable. So yeah, I can't wait. I hope we see the reverse angle or the other side of this later on in the Manhunter story. Right, I have no idea what's going on. I I don't even really know Manhunter that much. I know of him, but I know of the old Manhunters that were you know the first Guardians. Force or yeah, something. the Green Lantern connection. Yeah, and I mean, but there were many superheroes called Manhunter, and they all have a link to the robotic Manhunters. Okay, him, Mark Shaw is basically this Manhunter here comes out of the Millennium event with okay. the Manhunters, so it's like one of the spinoffs. Okay, of that series, uh, one of the better spinoffs. I don't want to speak ill of New Guardians, but New Guardians was terrible. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Manager was pretty good, as we'll see. But we'll see the... He's like a super secret agent type deal, I guess. Super secret agent ninja with a staff. Ninja with a... With um, Manhunter technology. Okay. Yeah, so he's in the background. He doesn't reveal himself, but that's him always doing stuff. Well, who reveals herself is that lady that Wally had sex with. She's a Durlin. (laughs) How do we know? She turns into a red and yellow python. It was and slithers away. Slithers away. They don't get her, and so um, then people start to go, "Are you a Durlin? Are yeah. you? No, I'm not a Durlin. Well, where were you? You know that kind of thing. Yeah. And it's Fidel Castro who calms him down and says, "We can't turn on each other. Is he just exerting good leadership, or is he a Durlin?" <laughs> well, he actually says, "You know, if you want to start shooting people, start with me." That's what a Durlin would say. Yeah, but he could get shot. <laughs> They're not going to shoot Fidel Castro. Well, on the off chance. Well. See, so this is all this is all me, my own brain playing tricks on me. Yeah, but I mean, it, 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 I was thinking the same thing. I mean, they could all be Durlins technically at this point. I'm not a big uh, shapeshifter, uh, body snatcher type fan, but at this point, I was being paranoid as well. I was like, all right, who's who's to be trusted here? Chunk and Wally. That's all I had. Oh, I am a big fan of that trope. Deep Space Nine, yeah, Battlestar Galactica, anything yeah. where you can't tell if the the other person, and I mean the metaphor is always that that shapeshifter is really you, or is about mistrust between people, yeah, because there's nothing, there's no, there doesn't seem to be a difference between the doppelganger and yourself or your your tribe, quote unquote. Uh, so I've always loved that that kind of trope when it's done well, and maybe I'm seeing it here. Uh, in larger proportion than the writer actually intended, May, or maybe maybe so, but I, I don't think it could have been. I don't think it would have been clear in this type of superhero comic book to, to force in that trope and 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 to get that paranoia going. I think we would have gotten stuck at base camp and nothing else would have happened if if that was the case. So I think it's it was probably and I'm and I'm thinking because I uh, I'm thinking they probably thought of this and said you know what we'll just. Give them one event where they... Where you're not sure. Yeah, and yeah. and let's move on with the story. Cause... And there's this whole thing with the Manhunter in the background as well. So there yeah. is, there's a lot of there's things lot of, going yeah. on at the there's same time. There's a lot of stuff going on. So, And I think that's part of the problem here is like page uh, 18. Page 18 is the one page where they complete their... Well, complete. Actually go on their mission. Yeah. Which is to find the matter transmitter uh, base yeah. where... Where the aliens are and are bringing in troops. Yeah. And they are bringing in troops because when we see the base, there's you can see there's a, a beam thing with yeah. humanoid figures. And in there it. are like hundreds of, I'm thinking, Durlins and other aliens around there. And uh, so. You, they look like they have little antenna. So. Yeah, they could I'm going to say Durlins. Yeah. Well, I mean, Durlins are in, in charge of Cuba. So yeah. that, I, that makes, makes sense. sense. And that's where. Wally asks Chunk because maybe probably that's why he wanted Chunk with him. Uh, he wanted Chunk to swallow that thing. I, I'm, I'm going to say swallow because Chunk is big, and it, it, I, I feel like his uh, pocket dimension singularity thing is all in his belly. <laughs> but uh, that's how I choose to live, and <laughs> and he says he can't because that would uh, create a black hole. And I don't think it would create a black hole. Actually, that's that's kind of a weird thing. Well, would, he calls it a singularity, so maybe there is a. A component that is... I'm thinking it would probably create a wormhole. I don't know what it would create. But it would probably not be good. But Chunk has a physics background. 
Yeah, but so he probably knows his pseudoscience more. <laughs> yeah, better than does. we do. Probably does. But then again, I've been known to you know dabble in that kind of stuff. So it's, it's comic book science, science with a, an exclamation point. But that's fine. Science can't happen because you can't have two you know transporters at the same place. But here's where I think there's just too much going on. Yeah, because they find the base. Chunk can't teleport the teleporter away. Fine, mm-hmm. and then they they go back to base and they decide to do something else. While Wally and Chunk are surveying the base, they are in a sniper's crosshairs. They are. And that's how we see them. Instead, yeah. of, instead of panels, we see them in round bubbles, which are the sniper's uh, scope. Yeah. And then the scope sees uh, a detail from Manhunter's costume. Mm-hmm. And then the scope breaks, and we don't hear anything else about this. We have no idea, and and it kind of it's kind of a letdown because all they say is say all they say is go back to camp and eat lunch. Chunk actually says, "What's that? Must be my stomach rumbling." <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of weird. The, the whole mission is put on hold yeah. while they do this something else, which is fine. Do that something else. I mean, yeah, Cuban society has been taken over by Durlins. Let's take care of that first. Mm-hmm. But then if you're going to take care of that first, why do you even go survey the base? It's just played kind of coy where yeah. it seems like Wally could have done something right then and there. Uh, Super Speedster could do a lot of things. Oh, well. yeah. Well, uh, if, in a single page, if it, if his powers worked well. Yeah. I suppose. But they work fine next in the next page where he puts Fidel Castro on his back and races to Havana. There's no there's no time in this comic book where his powers actually seem to not work. Yeah, there's only times when he seems not to want to use them. Yeah, where really. He, where he says, oh, my powers aren't reliable. But then every time he uses them, they're fine. They, they work fine. They always they, they, work They don't fine. cut out. I mean, even to catch that bullet from that stray, you know, from... I mean, he used their, his powers in, you know, a single... He saw this bullet going... I mean, I don't know. It, it's, it seems like Wally is hesitating. We see this often, I think. We've, we saw it in the previous issues. Yeah. And the same is true probably here, where this crossover event happens. We've got to put it in our book, put the subplots on hold. The Flash needs to be the Flash for this issue. You know, we can't just be dealing with the subplot about the intermittent powers. Yeah. And so... I mean, it's fine. His powers are working great. So, I mean, we're winning. We, we're, we're, we're getting what we want. But in the the other issues of uh, of the Flash, we did have Chunk in there. So he they brought Chunk along for the crossover event, which is also fine. Yeah, it's, it's you can tell yeah. it's it's a continuation. Yeah. But there are elements that maybe we took a break from something. Yeah. Hard to say. Now to change up the Fidel Castros. I like the sequence. It is very nice. Fidel doesn't even miss a beat. He's right on point, and that's what made me laugh. Well, it made me happy, actually. <laughs> yeah, so you had fake Fidel yep. reading a speech, and then Flash races by, and imperceptibly, there's wind. <laughs> and you know what? CNN is there. Yep, CNN. CNN is there. Yeah. Not respecting the embargo. <laughs> CNN is present. And so, yeah, so they replace... One Fidel with another. Yeah. The second Fidel, the real Fidel, goes on with the speech but changes it up, saying the proud free Durlins, reveal yeah. yourselves now, while Wally fights the, the, the fake Castro. So this was all true. Yeah. The evil Durlin is kind of uh, using claws and teeth to... To, and, to yeah. rip up the costume. And Very vicious, actually. You know, he's, he looks like he's going to bite out his throat or something and and just rips away the the costume that that'll be a nice little you know a nice little uh hello to the old wally west costume but it's oh, yeah. ripped, ripped apart yeah like on takes, top, takes off the top of the top the of the hood. head yeah. yeah that's was the style for the freaking flash yeah yeah so i think that was kind of a way of reminding people you know what this is not buried this is still wally but i mean that costume gets ripped all time <laughs> all time it's only friction proof no wonder he's broke I mean he's replacing that costume all the time but the Durlins the Durlins they all uh, they transform to Durlinites no to Durlins they, they're, they're Durlins so they all transform back to Durlins and then the people they fight them yeah so it's a people's revolution yeah. it's very commie style but it's also kind of again glib because all these shapeshifters reveal themselves, and the population just overwhelms them. We do realize that none of these monsters were... Like, the heroes were not able to capture these guys when they, they uncovered <laughs> them in the jungle. Yeah. So, 
I mean, how are the... So it's probably just the plans have failed and the Durlins run back to their base and we'll see how that plays out. The, yeah, they'll probably regroup because, I mean, I can't even imagine, even if they were like, I don't know, 20 humans, basic humans, trying to fight a Durlin, they would probably not succeed. They, they'd probably fail. It's my feeling that probably Durlins aren't as good at shapeshifting as Chameleon Boy is. Like Chameleon Boy, he would is be a, a super- superhero version. He, he'd be a superior, yeah. Okay, maybe, and maybe. Usually, they're not used to changing their shape all that well or fighting in different shapes. They're mainly infiltrators here. Maybe that's it. I like. But I like that we uh, we also see the two types of two ways. The we two see, looks. Yeah, the two looks of the alien Durlin there with the the Chameleon Boy style and the drapey. Yeah, hooded. the tentacles in a hood. Yeah, yeah, and we also see them in shapes because they're here. They're fighting humans as giant crabs. Oh, nice! So they are using their powers in battle, but we're still winning. Yeah. So basically, I think it's the jig is up type thing where you know they've been uncovered. They were supposed to be uh, undercover, take over everything silently, and it just all went to crap. So they're gonna probably regroup. That's what I'm thinking. If every other army in the world just can't take care of these aliens, I I can't see how, you know, Cuba... I mean, they're probably great at, you know, fighting, but they couldn't take on all the Durlins. Last page. Last page is the talk with the dad. Dad being dad. <laughs> yeah, and dad is a con man. Yep. And he's made these pins with uh, a Durlin effigy on them. So if you wear it, it, it detects if you're a Durlin. So mm-hmm. people will buy it just to prove they're not Durlins. Yeah. Including Durlins, probably because it doesn't work. Uh, this is a this is a kind of funny thing because uh, there's a lot of a lot of stuff going on in the the Flash TV show. Is also it's not going on here, but there are kind of like just a little tidbits. You know, in the earlier Flash uh, comic books, there were like uh, there was Velocity Nine and all that stuff, and and this is like uh, kind of a I don't know like a, a parallel or I don't know how to call it, but. It looks like the metahuman sensor that there is that they did in the, the TV show. I'm 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 not I'm babbling on over here. Okay. Uh, anyway, <laughs> but again, Flash's powers work fine. He they, races away from his dad, running on water. On water. If your powers are intermittent, I don't care how close Miami is. <laughs> will you really be <laughs> honestly? Yeah. Yeah. Racing through water, you know, they could cut out at any time. And what about Chunk? You just left Chunk in Cuba? We have no idea what happened to Chunk. So, <laughs> again, too much is going on. There's a lot. And uh, But Flash has to run off to America anyways because the superheroes are all being called for a summit. Yeah. A superhero summit, which we'll see in Invasion number two. So that's a ways for us. Yeah. But for them, it was like the next month. And we'll see more about this, or this mission, I'm thinking, in Manhunter number 8. Which we'll get to eventually, we swear. Did you read the fleet sheet? No. <laughs> I did not read the letters page. Did you? I Kind of. Kind of. <laughs> I, I just wanted to see what the, the people were saying. Because uh, this is where, you know, like I, like I said, this was whiny, whiny Wally. And a lot of people aren't happy with whiny Wally. But a lot of people are. And that, I, I, I read it because, you know, I, I think it's fun. But... A lot of people were like, ew, what are you doing? Okay. And some others were like, hey, you know what? I like it that we see a, a more human Wally. Yeah, the Wally who has uh, random sex with aliens. Yeah, he, he's he's great. <laughs> we, we get to know him for who he is. So yeah, I kind of enjoyed it. Kind of weird nobody called him out on it. The, the, the sex so with So you the had girl? sex with that girl? Probably half <laughs> the guys there said, hey, that would have been wild. How? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. But, you know, or scary. <laughs> I don't know. So we'll take a small break. Yeah. Listen to uh, an advertisement. Is that what we call them? <laughs> and then uh, when we come back, we'll talk about Flash a little more, just our our personal connections with the character. And when the evening comes, we smile. In 1998, Mark Wade, Brian Augustine, and Barry Kitson began exploring the beginnings of the world's greatest superhero team over an epic 12-issue comic maxi-series. That team was the Justice League of America, and that comic was JLA Year One. In 2016, eight podcasts will come together to cover this series in a single month. That month is JL May. 
Featuring the Fire and Water Podcast, the Power of Fishnets, Waiting for Doom, the Lantern Cast, Supermates Podcast, the Idle Head of Diabolu, Comic Reflections, and Views from the Long Box. Each podcast will cover one or two issues of JLA Year One, and then coverage will move from show to show. It all starts in the Fire and Water Podcast with issues one and two. JL May, an epic month for an epic series. Available where you find all good podcasts. All right, The Flash, Wally West specifically. Wally. You have a very strong connection to the character. Yes, you I talked do. That we, if, if you want to hear more uh, of Bass talking about Wally West, you can do so on a, an episode of Secret Origins by yep. our pal Ryan Daly. It's also on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. But in brief... Wally. Wally. Uh, Wally took the flash mantle uh, from Barry Allen, who died in... Well, I, I talked about this earlier. In uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths. Uh, he's dealing with becoming the new Flash. His powers aren't working really. Uh, eventually, eventually, we learn that he's restraining himself uh, mentally, because uh, eventually he gets to meet Jay Garrick, or he gets to... Uh, C.J. Garrick again who trains him uh, meets uh, Max Mercury who is awesome hope to see him in the TV show uh, even uh, Johnny Quick and they all are their different type speedsters and they all teach Wally how to use the what we now know is the speed force which is brought in by Max Mercury in, uh, in the comic books and then Flash just evolves he gets a great set of new rogues well they're all like new versions of the old rogues also so that's that's really fun and uh Wally becomes one of the greatest flashes ever if not the greatest if not the greatest and then written out of existence well <laughs> you know that's comics that's comics that's comics uh, there'll always be someone who remembers that Barry Allen was the original yeah forgetting that Jay Garrick was the original yeah but, <laughs> but you know what the thing is uh, the flash that a lot of people know now which is the flash from the TV show He's a lot more like Wally in the Flash sense when he's the Flash. He's a lot more like Wally than Barry was because originally uh, Barry, once he had his power, like like uh, Jay Garrick, same thing. They got their powers and they were one hundred percent superheroes. And Wally was one of those guys who had to learn to be a superhero, learn to hone his powers, learn to use them properly. So what we see in the TV show is really the Flash like Wally West was the Flash but Barry Allen who was a CSI in, in the real comics so they're basically taking Barry's life not as a superhero because that was interesting and they're putting that with the Wally West type Flash which was also more interesting than the Barry Allen one because Barry Allen just could do everything in an instant I mean he was overpowered really well yeah eventually Wally becomes over well more more powered. Oh yeah, has more different powers. He um, becomes speed. I mean, just that. It's yeah, and he can use inertia effects. Yeah. And, so there's a lot of different things there. The TV show from the '90s did much the same. Yeah. Where they combined it was Barry Allen, a CSI, but he had like a lower speed. Yeah. He uh, could do like Mark Three or something, something or? like that, and he had to eat a lot of food yeah. every time. So that was something that was true of the early Wally West comics. Yeah. As well, so they're always combining those yeah. characters, and that's fine because Wally never had a job. Wally was Kid Flash since he was like right. seven or nine. Professional superhero. So he was a professional superhero. How many professional superheroes do you know? And what can you build on that in a exactly. television show or with subplots? But yeah, they are bringing in. I'm not as far uh, as far into the series as you are. Yeah, but well, I love. The I've seen him date um, uh, Linda. Yeah, so that's Wally West's. Yeah. Love interest, not only love interest, but I think one of the the strongest parts of the Wally West stories that I loved, yeah, uh, from the Mark Wade run on through Jeff Johns, yeah, that was that was the the major run for me. Keep, and it was a we great keep saying run, right? But, it was it was a great run. <laughs> and the thing with the the love affair between Wally and Linda and their relationship and a sort of Clark Kent Lois Lane kind of thing. Yeah, well, you, you actually see that with uh, most of the speedsters because uh, because Iris what, Iris Iris was for yeah. Barry and and they're kind of 
anchors for these speedsters. I mean, uh, Jay had Martha. Martha? Why, why do I have Martha in my head? It's not Martha. Joan. Joan? Isn't it? I'll have to ask the judges if they're going to accept that response. Okay, good. Yes. So yeah, Barry had that uh, with, with uh, Iris. Iris. Uh, Jay had that type of love anchor. I, I call it a love anchor. I know, I know it's kind of you know kitschy, but it's kind of a love anchor with Joan. And Barry had none till he found Linda. Linda, and I think the anchoring is a lot of that. I think comes from the Mark Wade run. It's it's really yeah. about Linda, and then going back and saying it's the same. It was the same for Iris. Yeah. It was the same for for Joan. Although these were all positive. Uh, strong women yeah. in their own right. Even when you check out the Golden Age stories oh, of yeah. The Flash, uh, Joan, the future Joan Garrick, is uh, is is the is the woman that pushes Jay to become a, a better person and a superhero. Yeah. So there, there's always that, and so that was one of the strongest parts parts for me. There was like the having more interesting powers, developing the world, and the the legacy of uh, of Flash. Mm-hmm. And I think the Flash has become this sort of, as a whoever wears the mantle doesn't matter. The Flash has sort of become the the uh, tentpole character for different eras of DC Comics. Oh yeah. So that you have the Silver Age started with uh, Showcase Number Eight and the Flash, Barry Allen, and then that whole continuity ends when he dies in Crisis on Infinite Earths, and then Wally becomes the representative of. Post-Crisis DC, and Post-Crisis DC is very much, or becomes, about legacy heroes following the footsteps. The JSA is now in their immediate past, yeah, not on another Earth. So everybody is sort of following in the footsteps of older, and in their minds, perhaps, greater heroes. Yeah, They're living up to that memory. And that's never as true as it is for Wally West, who, who lost his mentor in this. Yeah, he's he's the first of the third generation, if you count Jay Garrick as the Flash. Right. The Flash was the first of the next generation, and then Wally is the Flash of the next generation. The, yeah, the newer one. And when they decided to do away with that continuity, the story is called Flashpoint. It's about the it's about Barry Allen returning and Barry Allen screwing up the timeline, so that it becomes the New Fifty Two. So it's again the Flash is the, the center point, the the, the central focus. Of the timeline changes. Well, he's he's always been uh, the center point since Flash of Two Worlds. I mean, he's the first crossover ever between right. two worlds. Uh, he's the one that brings. So, yeah, it, the multiverse was created yeah. in a Flash story. Yeah, exactly. And he was the the center point for most of these crises uh, all around, even these single issues uh, where you know the Justice League meets the Justice Society meets. You know the evil doers from Earth Three. That's all made possible because Barry Allen once crossed over. Exactly. It's, yeah. It's, and these crises, they all—they were all basically Barry's doing. So when he put an end to it in Crisis on Infinite Earths, uh, when he dies, the multiverse dies. Exactly. And becomes a, a single Earth. Uh, yeah. So yeah, th th there's a lot of there's a there, there's a thesis in there, and I'm sure other people have, have already written it. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Hopefully, because if not, we're brilliant, but we're probably not. Yeah, no, I, I'm sure I'm distilling <laughs> everything I've ever read or talked about in the past on this subject. And this is quite beyond the fact that we are fans of the super speed power as oh, a power. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think the when Jay Garrick was the Flash, and this is way before we were alive, but when Jay Garrick was originally the Flash, it was just about running fast. Yeah, running fast and, you know, beating up Rival or something. Yeah. Or aliens. But with Barry, they get science into it. Yeah. Uh, how do you use speed to create certain effects, with, whether it's tornadoes or um, going through walls? By, you know, it becomes about vibrating your, yeah, yeah. Your, your molecules. What could you do if you could do that, etc. So a lot of the solutions are scientific. And so the power becomes this multi-power. Yeah. It's as... He can do anything. Yeah, it's as versatile as Green Lantern's ring. Yeah, almost, yeah. He, I mean, yeah, exactly. Well... More if if it's just Al Jordan doing giant fists and scissors. I love the giant fists and scissors and anvils and rakes. Yeah, I just don't feel that Al Jordan is that imaginative <laughs> well, with he's, his uh, he's with pilot. his ring power. He's basically a jock. But uh, well, this being said, with Wally, we kind of go metaphysical and we we create the the speed force, 
And this is now something that's independent of all the other forces. It's one of these new, in, in the DC universe, one of the new basic forces. And it basically holds the multiverse together. Yeah, and I love the idea. Many heroes uh, have gone this route since, where, like Iron Fist, for example. There have always been many Iron Fists, and it's like there's this whole world around this bubble universe yeah. of... Uh, other Iron Fists, or here other Flashes and other people using the same force, and they're all linked together. Uh, so that's an interesting wrinkle, and I, I, you know, and it allows you to create different heroes and threats that are all part of that world. <laughs> and so there's a little mini place in the DC universe that's just for Flash, just for Flash, where Flash can do stuff and where Flash can expand his universe. I, that all comes from Mark Wade originally, yeah. uh, and here we're a couple years away from that. Yeah, and I think even the the rebirth of uh, Barry Allen is highly influenced by what came before. We, we didn't go back to the old Barry Allen. We have this new Barry Allen that basically works just like Wally did. Because I think with the, the Wally West character, we basically perfected the speedster. That's my two cents. I could be wrong. Maybe it's Quicksilver. Maybe you can tell us in the comments. And speaking of comments... Letters from the front! <laughs> Uh, so, let's see. We have to go back. Uh, these are essentially letters we got for episode 5 on okay. Firestorm number 80. But there are a couple of older comments that we should address. Well, I mean, people that are getting in on the show late. And those people are Diablo Frank. <laughs> and just Diablo. Oh, I'm going uh, yeah. to get, get franked, right? You're going to get... Well, you might get franked. You never know. Uh, here's what Frank had to say about episode 3, which was the Daily Planet Extra. Okay. I finally went through my magazine boxes to find the newspaper, which I bought in the mid-90s from a fan-slash-dealer working out of his garage. I debated opening up the shrink wrap, but curiosity got the better of me, and now said newspaper is browning with a massive crush roll all the way down on one side. I never read the whole thing, but it was a cute bit of meta merchandise. I prefer getting through it vicariously via you guys. Oh, Glad to oblige. And on episode 4, which was the Checkmate issue, like Siskoid, I liked reading about Checkmate in Burns Action Comics, bought off a convenience store spinner rack, then had no option in buying a direct market-only comic. I've read one or two Checkmate issues since and found them as terrifically boring as anything else written by Paul Kupperberg. Plus, I refer to Steve Irwin's artwork with terms like proportionate and workmanlike. I don't recall this level of gleeful bloodbath, though. <laughs> he admits, I am a ruiner, see? <laughs> and I can be mean-spirited. See previous paragraph. Yeah. <laughs> I dallied with DC in the late 80s, but mostly stuck with Marvel, and more specifically the X titles, until going into the 90s. I'm currently charting my primary entry into the DC Universe one annual at a time on the Bloodlines podcast. That's a fun one to listen to. Yeah, it is. Check it out at Rolled Spine uh, Podcasts, or Bloodlines was like this terrible... DC crossover was just like um, like xenomorph aliens drinking out of people's spines and turning them into metahumans. Oh, okay. And DC was going to use these metahumans as like the, the new blood of their universe. Like, let's create a bunch of trench-coated, I mean, it's 90s. <laughs> Pocket, pocketed, pouched. Uh, gross uh, heroes and villains. And the only one that ever made a difference was Hitman. Okay. Hitman was a good comic. All the rest are forgettable. Oh my god, we should do a Hitman thing. Hitman, uh, I wish Hitman was in Invasion. But yeah, Hitman's great. Everything else, pretty sucky. Frank chronicles it on his show. <laughs> it's called Bloodlines, the Bloodlines podcast. Check it out. As for issue, uh, well, I mean, episode five, the Firestorm issue. All right. So here, uh, Ryan Daly from Secret Origins said, I wasn't a big fan of Tom Grinberg's art on the issues of Secret Origins he penciled, but the samples you included from this issue of Firestorm, wow, that looks really bad. It was. It was. A lot of people commented on Tom Grinberg. Uh, Zart, because we talked about it at length. Yeah. And uh, Ryan's right. If you go to the fireandwaterpodcast.com, you will, there's always all the different images from the comics we talk about, so that if you're wondering, well, what are they talking about exactly? I don't have the issue. We usually post images as well as the, uh, the podcast feed, so use that address, people. Let's see, who else? Shag said, yeah, Firestorm! <laughs> That's a specialty. Uh, Paul Hicks from Australia says, uh, from a Waiting for Doom podcast, said, probably my first Firestorm issue, and I was cool with it. I really appreciate that Cisco and Bass sound like they're talking through huge smiles the entire episode. Well, we were, because, I mean... Uh, well, I enjoyed the hell out of Bass. 
I, <laughs> <laughs> but I, 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 even though the the art was bad, I, I really enjoyed it. It was fun. It was a fun comic. I mean, just going through old issues is a fun thing to do. Yeah, yeah. So we're gonna smile, even when we're uh, when we frown. I frown smilingly. <laughs> it's a Canadian thing. Yeah. <laughs> Ange said, uh, "As I have said, I am learning all about invasion from this podcast. I skipped this one and only have a couple of crossover issues. Now, my introduction to the character of Firestorm happened in DCCP, DC Comics Presents uh, number seventeen." And I followed him to the Bates Dillon JLA. I like the idea of the young kid surrounded by legends of the League. When his solo title came out, I collected. I got the first 50 issues of Firestorm, but dropped off afterwards. So I basically missed the blank slate and elemental phases of his career. So it was interesting to hear about it. His stroking of Power Girl's hair is indeed pretty creepy. Mm-hmm. My favorite part of the episode, though, was the brief segue into the Red Tornado. I have never really liked the character because with all the stories with him I read as a kid, he seemed like such a sad sack. Every story, every one, <laughs> he questions whether he should live with humanity. Then his hot girlfriend, Kathy Sutton, gives some tear-soaked speech about how he is the most human being in her life. Then her kid, Trya, runs up to him and hugs him. And he smiles and nods. Every single one. Enough. Hmm, perhaps the Red Tornado's love life is a topic for lonely hearts? Thanks for the show. To which I will answer, please don't make me read Red Tornado comics. Please. Oh, Fern would love it, though. Oh, man. And and it's like, he's got one miniseries and the art's by late era Carmine Infantino, which I cannot stand. <laughs> I have no idea, so I'm probably going to want to do it. Oh, my God. And he fights the internet. Oh, no. The internet becomes a villain. The construct, yeah. Like like a brainiac internet type uh, it's thing? It's like uh, all the te- all piece of... Like computers join together and become a big robot. Oh, my God. And it's just Wi-Fi. It's like a wi- if Wi-Fi turned evil. Okay, so it's that bad. So well, you re- you maybe it. it's good. <laughs> I like the way I talk about it. <laughs> It sounds like a cool idea, but I no, it wasn't very good. Comic Pro Michel FIFA says, I 100% agree with you about Grindberg, as sloppy Neil Adams clones aren't my thing. To put it in context, though, Grindberg was a breath of fresh air after slogging through years of Brazowski, who was the artist before then, or even after then. It's a shame because those John Strander stories are really quite good and ambitious. Yeah, the Br- Brazowski was a little um, dry. Okay. For me, Grindberg is a Neil Adams clone. I mean, it's he comes from the Neil Adams school, okay. if we will. It looks like bad Neil Adams, like messy Neil Adams. <laughs> so poor man's Neil Adams. Yeah. Uh, other people have commented on this as well. Jimmy McGlinchey says another good show, Cisco Denbass. As I mentioned on my comment in the last episode, I had not read this Invasion crossover episode, and from your synopsis, it sounded like an interesting issue. Although probably need to hear the Starman half, another sh- issue I've not read. To get the complete story, especially where Starman got the spaceship from. Regarding the Firestorm and Power Girl thing, I believe that in the pre-crisis era, Firestorm and Power Girl had the ultimate long-distance relationship, Earth 1 and Earth 2. And maybe Bob Greenberger was referencing that in that part of the book. Although, come on, Firestorm, have you not heard of personal space? Really hope that they may start to collect Fury of Firestorm issues in some manner, as it was a series I never read. Would love if they did a Showcase Presents volume on this, but alas, it looks like that line is discontinued. Look forward to the Flash episode, keep up the good work, and keep watching the skies. Uh, he's referring to the the Power Girl thing he's referring to, I think Chris Franklin addresses in his next comment. Although he also says, I struggle with Tom Grinberg, he's definitely a Neil Adams disciple, and sometimes his stuff looks fantastic but it's often muddy and characters morph from one panel to the next. And then there are those heavy, heavy blacks. Overall, it's unsatisfying despite some nice stuff here and there. I think Jimmy's right. The Firestorm Power Girl one-sided flirting is a continuation of their spark in the JLA-JSA crossovers, although PG was more into it back then. Plus, they are both Jerry Conway creations. Great show as always. So yeah, if those two were like the young... Power Girl was the junior member of the JSA in those stories and Firestorm was the junior member of the JLA so it's like they're kind uh, uh, yeah. of a match as juniors we hung out together and, yeah and yeah, it makes okay. sense that you'd put them in although these stories maybe never happened really don't know yeah because they don't reference it really yeah yeah but they do Bob Greenberger does put the two characters together <laughs> Clinton Robinson says terrible 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 oh not you guys this Danish blech 
<laughs> he, he runs the Coffee and Comics blog, so probably having breakfast. Another excellent episode. I, honest, I honestly don't know if I've ever seen Power Girl in that costume with the longer hair before. Seems odd. I'm sure everybody already knows, but just a reminder that Firehawk got her new costume right around Crisis on Infinite Earths, but I don't recall if there was ever an explanation given for it. Didn't it just morph into something? It was... The first time I ever saw it, or the first time it appeared, was in a Who's Who issue. So, like, they premiered the costume before it actually premiered in the comics. Didn't that... And then it was in the comics. It it actually happened during Crisis. I seem to recall that, that panel where Firebird is, like, her... Firehawk. Firehawk in her pink and and pinker i don't know yeah, she has like, like a pink and pink and pink orange and yellow yeah it was horrible and then for some odd reason i think firestorm something blasted off i don't i can't remember but i remember that panel in uh crisis gotta find that panel irredeemable shag said great episodes of skin and bus i'm not sure who this firestorm character is but he sure sounds interesting <laughs> idiot <laughs> oh the grimberg era of fury firestorm so he's an expert Let's see what Shag has to okay, say yeah, about this, the Tom Grinberg era. This will be interesting. I'm so conflicted, he says. At the time, he was basically a fill-in artist who stayed around too long. He did six issues. Like when a late-night party breaks up and that one guy just won't get the hint to go home, the word that always came to mind to describe his art was muddy. Hearing him referred as a Neil Adams disciple makes a lot of sense. However, he does it very, very badly. The reason I'm conflicted about Grinberg is that his final three issues are very good. Not necessarily artistically, but a stranger's writing. Issues 83 to 85 set up the creation of the Elemental Firestorm. Great story in those issues, and the art was a little better. However, the crazy hair and ugly faces continue to be a problem through all Grindberg's issues. I will say he does pretty good with shadowy characters, like the character of Rasputin in those issues I referenced. Michel Fifa and I will have to chat about Brazowski someday. I've got serious love-hate relationship with Braz artistically as well. As others mentioned above, the Firestorm Power Girl pre-crisis romance is worth discussing. I disagree with the commenters above that suggested the romance was an undercurrent in this issue. However, it should have been. I wonder if Estrander was even aware of that pre-crisis romance, since it was never referenced in the Firestorm comic itself, only JLA. In fact, I've always felt references to the romance missing from this issue stuck out like a sore thumb. How could they not reference it? If Power Girl is going to randomly blurt out facts like she's an orphan, then a previous romance certainly would have been brought up. It would have been a perfect way to make Firestorm's awkward advances even more awkward. Really? It's true. Yeah. Yeah. Again, great job, Siskoid and Bass. It was really fun listening to someone else talk about Firestorm. I felt like it was a podcast recorded just for me. Thanks for playing the Fire and Water promo during the show. Sure. I'm not forcing myself onto your show for the next Firestorm episode. In fact, I'd rather just listen. But if I can answer any questions in advance of your recording, feel free to reach out to me. Oh, well, thank you very much. Well, questions are come up during the talk, so... Yeah, really, we, we don't be too really... late by then. We record off the cuff. <laughs> Pretty much. We might call you up during the book. <laughs> Privately, I got some private comments, which oh. I will reveal. Uh, Fern, from the Lonely Hearts Romance Comics Podcast. Yes, we know him. Our brethren from the Lonely Hearts. So Fern says that during this time, the invasion... 1988, Marvel Toys would label their action figures as mutants because internationally there was like a different brackets for humanoids and non-humanoid taxes and duty. Okay. So, so was, this was an economic thing? Yeah. So a lot of the non-mutants became mutants. Like Spider-Man was labeled as a mutant. I remember I that. I guess he's a mutate uh, to avoid fees when shipping crates uh, over from China. Okay. Okay. So he's saying that maybe that's why uh, in invasion, one of the things invasions will invasion will do is brand every character as a meta human, so that everybody's was a mutant. Now everybody's a meta human. Is that going to be a different category so that they can save money on things? Oh, I I don't know if that was the case. They did. I think there was a a need for labeling this higher human form or something. I know and that Marvel and DC had had a joint copyright for the word superhero. Okay. It's absurd. Which is weird, yeah. So that a lot of new companies that started doing superhero comics would call them all sorts of names. Paranormals, or because they couldn't use the word superhero. But again, if DC owned the word superhero, superhuman or superhero, there's well, no reason to do this. Metahuman is still used in the Flash uh, TV show and yep. everywhere DC. Uh, so I think Metahuman is probably their version of mutant. And the on the Firewater uh, podcast network, 
chat. I was advised that a new printing of Invasion on it was available on InStock Trades. Really? As trade paperback? As a trade paperback for the, the three those okay. three issues. Well, that's cool. Uh, the guys are going to assume it was due to uh, the in- an increase in demand because of our podcast. You know what? You assume right. It's exactly <laughs> why. We made, we made that happen. <laughs> we made a call. So you can uh, obviously all the... It's not like an omnibus where you get every tie-in. Oh, that would be great, though. We should have an omnibus. Okay. You hear that, DC? We should have an invasion omnibus. Every crisis should have its omnibus. Yes, especially. So you, you can find it on in stock trades. The American price is like 10 bucks, oh. which is like 45% off. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Go get it. Um, Twitter. Got a comment on Twitter from Craig101. He said, That's one of the few invasion crossover issues I have. On Facebook, Aaron Headmoss said, Great series, great crossover, great issue. Martin Gray said, I'm really enjoying the podcast on DC's best event ever. And Zeb Oswalt said, Cool podcast as always. A Strander was great on Firestorm. And it was cool hearing about the issue. And cool, Power Girl was in it. Can't wait to hear the next episode. And let's just give some shout-outs to uh, everyone who uh, liked. Pretty, it's a pretty big list. We have a big list. Thanks a lot, everybody, who Facebook, liked, liked and shared. Facebook likes and shares from Sean and Curry, Clinton Robison, uh, Coffee and Comics Blog, Ryan Daly, Nicholas Prom, Dale Russell, Jay Jones, Silver and Gold Podcast, Sean Emmons, Professor Alan Middleton, Cal Benning, Shag Matthews slash Firestorm fan, Ruth Sutherland, Gene Hendricks, Tim Wallace, Max Romero, Sean Brock, Jonathan Brown, Martin Gray, Will Harbaugh, Joe Crawford, Rob Kelly, Rob Kelly, yeah, Rob Kelly, Richard Ruiz, Carlos Guimarez, Chris Franklin, Zeb Oswald, Keith G. Baker, David Ace Gutierrez, Derek William Crabb, and Twitter retweets and favorites from Comic Reflections, Ryan Daly, Craig101, Robert Lewis, J Slab425, Keith G. Baker, Coffee and Comics Blog, Ed Moore, Marvel Bronze Age, Indie Comics Face, Inigo Montoya, and Ed Moore Jr. Many of these are Ed Moore. <laughs> I have to say, quite a few of these were Ed Moore in different guises. Well, thanks, well, thank, Ed Moore. Thank you, Ed. That wraps up for uh, for Flash issue twenty one. See you here next time for the First Strike Invasion podcast, where we review Justice League International number twenty two. Oberon unleashed. <laughs>